Folks, we'll make a start to the meeting tonight, and we're going to sing 528. Tis finished, the Messiah dies, cut off for sins but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice, the great redeeming work is done. That's a good singing in the opening hymn. You know we're praying much for Ivor in these days. We were able to tell you in the Lord's Day that Ivor went to get a dye test last Friday. And that was a simple enough procedure. He had hoped that best medication would solve the problem. 
and maybe at worst uh, he would have to have a stent put in but as you know they discovered that his main artery is severely blocked and really his condition is critical so they've kept him in hospital they want to uh, speed up the process get the surgery done so they actually have been able to arrange today that he will leave for the Royal tomorrow morning there's an ambulance booked for 11 and spend the weekend down the Royal with a view to surgery on Tuesday and maybe even before if it can be fitted in so do you remember Iver? Uh, the Lord has given him a peace in his heart and he's just seeking to do what all of us would do and that's rest in the Lord and rest in the promises of God and as we know there's a very human aspect to it all but we know that he's just confidently looking to the Lord every day every moment of every day so pray the Lord will keep him, preserve him bring him to the day when the operation can be done and done successfully to the glory of God and for Ivor's good we're remembering Freddie Laverty as well we, we heard this evening that Freddie's father, that's Freddie Senior passed away uh, Freddie had called me yesterday to say that his father was in hospital he was on a ventilator in ICU and uh, that was switched off today at lunchtime and sadly his father passed away sometime this evening so there is a funeral that has been arranged at McMullen's funeral home at 12 o'clock on Saturday morning or Saturday at noon remember Freddie that the Lord will be with him and his mother Rosie and the other members of the family that they'll be comforted this time we're going to bow together seek the Lord in prayer let's call upon the name of the Lord Heavenly Father we come to the house of God tonight indeed to the place where prayer is wont to be made the Lord has told us in his word that his house would be called the house of prayer unto all nations and we know that one of the principal things that ought to mark out any church is its prayer meetings and a people that gather together to worship the Lord, to gather at the throne, to spend time in holy communion with our God. And that's what we're about tonight. That's why we come here, not principally to meet with one another, yet we thank you for the fellowship that we enjoy with those of like precious faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we come most of all to meet with the Lord himself. And we can. He has given us the provision. He has opened up the way. We can come by faith right into the immediate presence of God. We do so through Christ, our sole mediator. We plead his blood. We plead his righteousness. We plead indeed his presence now with the people of God here. We know that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. And the more we know of thy presence with us tonight, the more joy will fill our hearts. And we want that joyful experience. Lord, you have made us a blessed people, a happy people. We are happy tonight because our sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And Lord, when we think of sin, sin that had separated us from God, sin that condemned us, sin that was carrying us as fast as our feet could carry us to hell, that sin is 
forgiven. We have peace with God tonight. We have pardon through the blood. We appear before thy presence now as those that are justified freely in thy sight, just as if we had never sinned, because we're clothed in the righteousness of our Savior and we're fully accepted in him. We're happy tonight because we have a new song. It's a song about redemption. It's a song about the blood of the Savior. It's the song that they sing in heaven around the throne as they worship the Redeemer sitting there as the central figure of heaven. And Lord, how good it is for us to blend our voices with them while here on earth, the church that is militant continues to march forward. We sing together the praises of Zion. We sing about the Redeemer too, who loved us and gave himself for us, who washed us in his own blood, made us his children, We are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. And as such, we have, as the hymn writer said, the right to shout and sing. The way is growing bright. Our souls are on the wing. We're going by and by to the palace of a king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're glad, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come to your house tonight And be in a place where your word will be opened, where we will study it together, seek to hear from the Lord in his word, and then gather at the throne to spread the need at your feet. Just now as we pray, our thoughts are very much with Ivor and what he's passing through. You know what happened on Friday and the news that he received. We thank you for grace to help. And Lord, you've helped him thus far. You've kept him in your hand over the past weekend and this week and Lord we think of the weekend ahead and this journey to the royal God willing in the morning we pray that you'll be with your child that you will prepare him for surgery and that that operation will take place according to the will of God according to your plan on the day appointed and we pray for guidance to be given to the surgeon and that all may be well with our brother We remember Freddie tonight, Lord, and you know the sadness that has come to his family with the passing of his father. And we just want to commit Freddie and his mom and his brothers and sisters into your care. We pray that you'll be with them in sorrow and that your presence will be known and that you'll undertake even for Saturday as we seek to read and pray and bring a word from the Lord to this family. We pray for your anointing, your strength, the outpouring of the Spirit. Hear all these, our prayers, meet with your people here, our own congregation, together with our Ukrainian brethren and sisters. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We always welcome you, and it's good to see all who've come tonight. There's a a wedding connected to the church happening today, so that has taken some of our Uh, prayer meeting people away but you're here and we bid you welcome and if you're tuning in tonight on Sermon Audio, Facebook or YouTube welcome to you also as part of the congregation we will have special prayer tonight for the Christian school remember that when we come to our time of prayer tomorrow night is the presbytery, it's the annual general meeting and that will take place in Armagh Free Presbyterian Church Saturday morning is the open air 
in the centre of the town at 11 o'clock. Next large day of the prayer meeting is 8 a.m. and the Sunday school and the Bible class recommences at 10.45 this coming Lord's Day. So do your best to get the kids uh, out on the Lord's Day. Worship service, we have announced that we want to speak on a call to consecration coming up to the mission, how important it is to give ourselves afresh to the Lord for all that he has for us at the mission, but just to give ourselves to the Lord full stop for all that he has for us as his people as we seek to walk with him. It's family night at 7, the prayer meeting at 6.30. And do remember then, Saturday week is the church barbecue. Everyone's invited, and especially our Sunday school children and their parents want to make that known. We think of the mission, we're praying for it. It's now on the doorstep, Sunday week, in the will of God, it commences. There's still some preparation to make. There's some physical preparation getting all those bits and pieces together so that we can have everything in place for the 11th of September. And then next week, as we know, is the preparation week. Who got their invitations through the post? Okay, that looks like most of you. I got mine. Did you get this? No. Okay. So this is what you... Yeah? You should have got one of these. There's probably still this week to go. Uh, So 11,000 invitations being delivered that way. Monday through to Friday next week. Remember Monday and Tuesday's outreach. And we've said to you, if you have someone that you're burdened for and you would like some of us to visit... Uh, that's what we want to, to do. These are the people that we want to target, a friend, a family, a neighbour, and you want just that personal invitation to be handed to them. Uh, so, so far, there's nobody on the list. Okay, so I know that we sometimes leave it a little bit late, but uh, try to get those into us as soon as possible so we have something to do. We'll find out something to do on Monday and Tuesday, but it would be good if we had some individuals to visit this way. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday then, prayer times for the mission. That's all the announcements. We'll sing together. 497. Wash me, O Lamb of God, wash me from sin. By thine atoning blood, O make me clean.
Amen. You may be seated. This hymn tonight has a theme, and that theme is Wash Me, Wash Me, O Lamb of God. Does anybody know what text of scripture this might be based upon? When you have your hymn book, you see at the top of the hymn there's a text, and you haven't got the advantage of having, well, not all of you, anyhow, of the hymn book. You haven't got it tonight with you. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Psalm 51. And that's what we're turning to tonight. Psalm 51. Tanya, you might be able to translate just this next little bit because it's to do with Lena. And Lena, as you know, is the, is the wife of a pastor back in Ukraine. And they, they miss each other so much. I know that. And she will be traveling back with her youngest daughter, Sveta, on the 12th of September, as far as I know, the 12th of September. So that's Monday week. It's a Monday that you go. We want to remember you, pray for you, pray for your husband, that the Lord will sustain you and bless you, even as you travel back to what is still troubled times, in the land of Ukraine. Okay. You're welcome. Psalm 51 might also say Mrs. Kearns is back with us. She, she was away for three weeks, just maybe a little more than three weeks, and uh, she's looking well, probably still suffering a little bit with jet lag, with all the difference between uh, the time here in Northern Ireland and what it is in the States. But good to have you back in our midst, sister. And the Lord bless you as you fellowship with us again. Verse 1 of the Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thy desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. And blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. 
and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. We're ending a reading there at verse 14. Let's have a wee word of prayer. Lord, it is with a sense of great reverence that we come before your word and before this particular chapter we seek for the application of the Holy Spirit in knowledge and wisdom upon what we've read and what we're now to speak upon and we pray that you will bless us that you will teach us that you will place us in your hand we have thought about the the potter And that passage in the scripture that reminds us that we are the clay in the hand of the potter. Lord, you're molding us and you're making us. And you're doing that after divine fashion. We want to be what God wants us to be. We want to be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. And Lord, coming up even to this time of mission... We want to have right hearts, right minds as we come to serve the Lord, as we come to proclaim the glorious gospel. O Lord, prepare us in these days as we come to this special time of gospel preaching, as we reach out to our neighbors and our family and friends with the gospel. O we pray that the tide of blessing will come sweeping in right across this town and that the Lord will bring changes that we could never have imagined Lord thou art God and thou art able to do great and mighty things which we know not so answer prayer help us Lord to bring the message fill us with your spirit now in Jesus name Amen so important to notice the, the title of this psalm because it gives us the context, it gives us the setting in which this psalm was penned. You'll see that it's a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. It seems incredible that a man after God's own heart, that's how David is described in the scripture, could fall so deeply and tragically. David was a chosen, anointed vessel. He was God's choice to be king. Saul was man's choice, the people's choice. But David was God's choice. And I think of that day when Samuel the prophet came to anoint David as the king. And you remember how the other sons of Jesse were paraded out before the prophet. No, that's not the man, that's not the man. The Lord was was bypassing them all. Is there not another? And there was. There was an eighth son. And he was the shepherd lad out in the fields. Call for him. And it was then that Samuel took the oil. And poured it upon the head of David at that stage. Marking him out as God's chosen. The one who was going to be the next king. We ponder all the exploits that David did. Single handedly. He brought down the towering giant Goliath. 
as commander-in-chief in the army of Saul. He won many, many battles. He slew the tens of thousands. He was surrounded by the protection of the angel of the Lord, especially in those days when Saul was trying to hunt him down and take his life. God used him to write most of the Psalms, which have been a blessing and a comfort to God's believing people ever since they were penned. Who has not come to the rich volume of this book, these inspired songs and prayers, and has been helped exceedingly. I think we all have been. And I know that those that are passing through the trials this very night have been. And I know they're in the hospital labors clinging on to some of the great promises of God in the Psalms. We have all been helped, haven't we? Yet this man, so blessed and used by God, succumbs to such a vile and fleshly sin as the one that he is repenting of here in the Psalm 51. Isn't there a warning in this story? Isn't there a warning for every child of God? David was a child of God, yet he fell so tragically. Is there not written over the history of what happened in David's life at that time? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I think there is a warning for us all. This sad history is recorded for our learning. Back in Second Samuel chapter 11, just turn to it for a moment. Second Samuel 11 and the opening verses. I'm sure you've read them many times. Read them with a tear in your eye. With heartbreak in your soul. As you think of this man of God and how he falls so tragically. Came to pass after the year was expired. At the time when kings go forth to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. It came to pass in an evening time, tide, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said I am with child. Well you know that David was not where he ought to have been. Very often that happens in backsliding child of God is not where they ought to have been. David should have been out with his army. This was the time when kings led their armies out to battle, but he was not there fighting the battles of the Lord. He tarried still at Jerusalem. And choosing to stay back in the city of Jerusalem 
We might think that David would have engaged himself in something worthwhile, like prayer. Would not have been a good thing for David, the man of God, the man after God's own heart, to be engaged in. His men are out fighting the battle. There's a raging war taking place. Should David not have been in prayer? He was this man after God's own heart. Alas, that was not the case. Rather, David takes an idle stroll upon his palace rooftop. And it was during that walk that he spied Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who was washing herself. Undoubtedly, she was attractive and appealing. For it says here, she was beautiful to look upon. David should have turned away his eyes from beholding vanity. Instead, however, temptation filled his heart. And he lusted after this married woman. And we note the progression of his sin in the verbs that are used in this passage of Scripture. He saw with his eyes. He saw a woman. And then he inquired. It should have stopped there. After him seeing, he should have turned away. He should have gone back to his bed, back to his home. But he didn't. He inquired after this woman. Then he sent messengers and he took her. And this led, as you might expect, to him committing the wicked sin of adultery because he lay with her. Do you see the progression of the sin from the seeing, the inquiring, the sending, and also the taking, and then, of course, finally lying with her? Bathsheba went home. I suspect that they agreed together that they would keep this secret. They wouldn't tell anybody. I think you can say that from the passage of Scripture. David certainly did not want anyone to know. Bathsheba would not want anyone to know, especially her husband. But be sure your sin will find you out. And it did with David. Bathsheba conceived as a result of this illicit relationship. And she sent word to the palace. David I am with child. I am with your child, as the implication is. David multiplied his sin exceedingly. And what followed? Because he tried to cover it up in a most conniving and deceitful manner, as people do. When they sin grievously, they try to cover that sin. They try to hide it. They try to blame it on someone else. And, well, you know the story, how Uriah returned from the battle And he sent Uriah home with the hope that he would now lie with his wife. And then, of course, everyone would think that the child was Uriah's. But Uriah did not do that while the soldiers were fighting. His mind was upon the war. He would not engage himself in such activity. And then David sends Uriah to the forefront of the battle where Uriah is killed. David's sin with Bathsheba caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme as the world of the ungodly watched on and observed this horrendous sin of a man of God. It brought terrible shame to David and to the honor of God. Always remember that our sins have consequences, every one of them, sometimes far more than we could ever imagine. David's testimony was marred 
exceedingly. And so was Bathsheba. Bathsheba's testimony. Uriah, he is killed. The enemies of God blaspheme. And untold damage was created within David's family. We can hardly imagine the full extent of the effect that it had in his home. We know that several of David's children followed in his footsteps of adultery. One went so far that he never recovered. That was Absalom. Absalom never recovered and he died unconverted and he went out into hell forevermore. Never forget our sins have far-reaching consequences. You don't know what damage will be caused to your testimony. You don't know what, what damage will be caused to your family, to your church fellowship. What damage might be caused to your neighbors and friends who are, are watching on. Or the wider community out there. I think of the ungodly that we are trying to win. How can we reach the ungodly when there's tragic sin in our own lives? And they're watching on and we're trying to witness to them and they know us to be guilty of maybe even some of the sins that they are guilty of. Anyhow, Psalm 51 is David's penitential psalm regarding his sin with Bathsheba. Here, in great sincerity and brokenness, he cries to God for forgiveness. Albeit it took nine months for him to be brought to see the terrible sin, to be brought to repent of his terrible sin. It wasn't until Nathan the prophet confronted him with those piercing words, Thou art the man that David has brought to repentance. But we do see the language of remorse and true repentance here. The Psalm 51, have mercy upon me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And so on through this psalm as David cries to the Lord for forgiveness. It's when David repented and he sought restoration that he felt himself to be in a position again to, to witness. Albeit a wounded witness. Perhaps David would never be the same again in his witness to others. But he, he does endeavor now that repentance has taken place and sin has been put away. He does endeavor to teach others again the gospel. To teach transgressors the ways of God. And that's what we read in verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And then he has a cry in his soul in the next verse to be delivered from blood guiltiness. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation. Now I think tonight that we can identify with this psalm in our times of failure and sin. Perhaps we have never committed the wicked sin that David was guilty of. But we have often sinned against the Lord in many, many ways. We have grievously sinned against him. We have used the language of this psalm in prayer as we have sought ourselves for mercy and forgiveness. And many times we have asked the Lord to have mercy, to blot out our transgressions, to, to wash us, to cleanse us, to purge us, 
to hide his face from our sins, to, to blot out our iniquities and so forth, to create in us a clean heart again. It's only as we are restored and forgiven that we can walk in this world aright as an effective witness for Christ and teach transgressors God's ways. Otherwise, we're nothing more than hypocrites, all right? If we have serious inconsistencies in our lives and there's sin there, and at the same time, we say we're Christians and we're trying to be a witness to the ungodly, it just makes us to be hypocrites in the eyes of the world. You cannot be a teacher of divine truth if you're not walking in the truth in the first place. You cannot tell others the message of the gospel and expect them to listen if there are these inconsistencies that I've spoken about. Our witness in such times will be as ineffective as Lot's witness was in Sodom. As we study the life of Lot, we we do believe he was a, a true child of God. We know that for certain from the New Testament, that he was a righteous man. We know that the sins of Sodom vexed his soul, but we also know that he seemed to be silent about it. And he didn't do anything about it. And he didn't live right, and he didn't witness right. And so when he came to be a witness, when it really counted, destruction was coming, the cities are going to be destroyed, his family's going to be lost, and he runs to his family members, especially the sons-in-law, they just mocked him. They mocked him, we believe, because... Lot did not have the testimony that he should have had. And that's what happens when we're not walking right in this world. I was thinking about our mission when I read this psalm earlier this week. I was thinking about our testimony and our influence with others and and how that we need to be right with God in these days as we seek to invite people in, as we seek to teach them the gospel and have influence with them. And of course, deliver our soul from blood guiltiness. I'll come to explain just a little about that blood guiltiness that David spoke about but the application that is very uh, important for us. And so I believe there's a message for us here tonight. I would want to concentrate our thoughts just for a few minutes and that's all it will be on verses 12 to 14. Teaching transgressors God's ways. And that's what we need to be engaged in. I want to put it to you first of all as you look at verse 12 that there is the need for restoration. David had sinned grievously against the Lord. He had sinned against himself. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against his people. And as a result, he had lost his joy. Because sin destroys our joy, disturbs our peace, devastates our contentment as a child of God. Since that walk upon the palace rooftop and the the sin that followed with Bathsheba, David had no true joy. He had no true contentment. How could he possess such? For nine months, there was no sweet enjoyment of God's presence. There was no profitable communion with the Lord. There was no excitement in going to the house of God that once characterized the life of David. He loved to go there. If he did seek to maintain some kind of 
of routine in spiritual things. It was nothing more than a routine. It was a vain exercise. You know, sometimes believers can get into such a state. They can fall into such a dark spiritual hole. They're going nowhere in the Christian life. No progress is being made. They've lost their joy. Are you like that tonight? Or maybe you know some Christians and they're just like that tonight. They've lost their joy. No delight anymore in going to the sanctuary of God's house. It ought to be a delight to go to, to, go to church in the Lord's day. I'll say something with that later. No love for the public communion with God at his throne. And that's privately and publicly for that matter. The sweet enjoyment of, of Bible reading and study has disappeared. They have no genuine excitement in spreading the glorious gospel. Their witness is cold and silent. The truth of the matter is they're backslidden. They have lost out with God. And sin is lurking in their hearts. Sin that they have not confessed, have not put away, and it is hindering them in the Christian life. Indeed, they've lost their joy. There was a time when they could identify with the joyful exercises that a believer should be engaged in. The joy of the word. This book that you have in your hands tonight, it ought to be your delight to come to the scriptures of truth every day. The blessed man of the Psalm 1 had this joy. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This was once true of you. True of some of you that are listening in tonight on the internet. You've lost your joy of the word. There's not the, the delight in coming to the scriptures the way that there used to be. You haven't got the testimony of the blessed man of that opening psalm. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. There was a time that you meditated in the scriptures. You took down the book of God morning and night. It was your delight to do that and to mull through the scriptures of truth. But that's gone. That's gone. You can't identify with that any longer. What about the delight that we ought to have in God's house? Wasn't it David in the Psalm 122 said, I was glad, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. There was a quickening. We, we sometimes speak in this language, don't we? A quickening in your steps, in your approach to God's house on, on the Sabbath day and at, at other times. Such gladness has disappeared in the life of the believer who is no longer walking aright with God. You see, my friends, going to God's house ought to be a joy, not a chore, not a drudgery, not something that, that's a, a, an onerous task. You know, when I get up on the Sabbath day, there's some people tell me the Sabbath day is my favorite day. Well, it is my favorite day, and I like to have a long Sabbath. I like to get up early. I like to get up early every morning, but particularly on the Lord's day, I get up early. 
and I go to bed late and I have a long Sabbath. I delight in that day. And one of the greatest delights that I have is coming here to this place of worship, meeting with God's people, fellowshipping with God's people, coming around the word of God. And there ought to be excitement in the believer's heart when they waken on the Lord's day, getting up, thinking, oh, it's church today. It's going to the house of God today. Not, not some kind of terrible task going out to church, but the delight, the delight of your soul. But for some people, they've lost that delight. What about that delight at his throne, the place of prayer, privately, publicly? It's a place of gladness for the believer. We ought to love the place of prayer. That's communion with God. What greater blessing could we have than speaking to Almighty God? Just spending time in sweet communion with him. But that's gone for some. What about the delight in praise? Let me give you a couple of verses that speak about this. There's others that we could turn to. But first, Chronicles 15 and verse 16 was a time of jubilation, time of praise. Rightly so, because the Ark of the Covenant was now being carried back to the city of Jerusalem. And David, in verse 16 of First Chronicles 15, he spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals sounding by lifting up the voice with joy with joy and you can just imagine that tremendous praise going to the Lord with these musical instruments and the singing of the choir as we often enjoy not only the Hebron choir but the whole choir the whole congregation singing lifting up lifting up the voice high with joy do you love that kind of praise let me give you another verse this time the Psalm 63 and the verse 5 Psalm 63 verse 5 my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips that ought to be with you and me when we praise the Lord with joyful lips I sometimes look down on the Sabbath day and I don't see joyful lips. I sometimes see people that are not singing at all. Okay, if, if they can't sing, I can see through it a little bit. If they sing out of tune, I can see through it a little bit. But even if you sing out of tune, you should still sing. You should still have joyful lips. And then you see the others and they are singing. And we, we are at times uh, woeful, aren't we? W woeful looking. Very sad and and uh, our countenance is not the way it ought to be. What do we know of the joyful lips and praise? It ought to be joyful lips. And I think that should come out somewhat a little bit in our expression as we sing praise to Almighty God. But there are people and they've lost their song. They've lost their, their praise. What about the service of Christ? Just to serve the Lord is a joyful thing. Do you know that great Psalm 126? The people that went forward sowing the seed of the gospel, as we know the application is there. They shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing 
their sheaves with him. And the previous verse, when you sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. This is serving the Lord. This is preaching the gospel. This is getting the message of Christ out to a dying world. And when we see, see our servants rewarded in such a way and the sheaves gathered in, what joy it brings to the hearts of God's people. It's that kind of joy that the Savior has spoke about in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. The 70 returned again with joy. And they said, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. What were they engaged in? They were engaged in a mission. The Lord has sent them out to preach the gospel. They come back to the Lord's presence with joy. And they're rejoicing and serving the Lord. And rejoicing especially in the fact that the kingdom of the devil was overthrown. And they had seen great success in their labors. And I know that the Lord tells them on this occasion that there was a better reason to rejoice. Because their names were written in heaven. But still it doesn't take away from the fact that when we serve the Lord, there is joy. And when we serve the Lord and we see results in Christian service, there is joy. Whenever the sheep was found, was there not joy in heaven? Whenever the coin was found, was there not joy in heaven? It's the same kind of joy that the soul winner has. Or Christians enjoy here on the earth when we see others brought to Christ. When the lost are one and gloriously saved. And then, of course, we, what about that joy in our own salvation? Just the fact tonight that you and I are saved. Is that lovely? Text in Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. Greatly rejoicing in what? I am covered over in the robe of righteousness my Father gave to me. I am fully covered in the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for me. And when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. And that brings joy to my heart. I'm saved. I'm covered in the robe of righteousness and the garments of salvation. The same uh, truth, I believe, is brought out in the Acts of the Apostles. And the chapter, or Romans rather, Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. If you have received the atonement, which is the great once and for all sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, when he took your place and he died for you and atoned for your sins, became sin for you, was punished as a sinner, was judged on your behalf, if you have received that atonement, then you'll know the joy that the Apostle Paul is speaking here about when he wrote to the church at Rome. And just one other thing. There ought to be joy in God's will. Doing the will of God. We come back to the Psalms and, and this time to the Psalm 40. And I want just to mark in passing the 8th verse of Psalm 40. 
I delight to do thy will. Oh my God. I delight to do thy will. My, when you're doing the will of God, it brings joy. But I want to tell you tonight, when sin enters, when sin comes into our lives and we don't get that sin put away, the joy goes. And we don't have joy in these things that I've mentioned, in his word, in his house, at his throne, in his praise, in his presence, in his service, in his salvation, in his will. You can lose your joy. So what do you need? You need restoration. You need to get to this prayer of David here in the Psalm 51 and verse 12 where he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Oh, if you have lost your joy tonight, it may be, I don't know. I'm speaking to someone at our prayer meeting night here in this gathering listening in and for all I know you've lost your joy and you've lost your joy because of sin sin that has come into your life you need to you need to get back to that place where you confess you confess your sin and you you do what David does in this Psalm 51 and then you come to that place where you plead now that my my sin is put beneath the blood and I've prayed for cleansing I've prayed for washing I prayed that the Lord will have mercy upon me. Lord, just restore the joy of my salvation so that when I serve the Lord in all these ways, I'll have that joy again. Then there is the need in verse 13 for proclamation. I'll be very quick with these last couple of uh, points that I want to make. Verse 13. Then... When my sin is confessed, when my sin is purged, when my sin is washed away, when the Lord has created that clean heart and my, my joy of salvation is restored, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. In the dark days of backsliding, David was not able to teach those who were far away from God their need. You can't be a witness for God while sin lingers. Where unconfessed sin reigns, indeed sin blocks up the channel of blessing in every way. And it hinders our walk with God. We know that it hinders prayer being answered. If I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God that he will not hear while I am unwilling to deal with my sin and confess my sin and get it beneath the blood of Jesus that it might be pardoned there's no point there's no point in me praying no point because prayer is hindered but we're thinking about witnessing we're thinking about preaching we're thinking about teaching teaching transgressors God's ways there is no point in me witnessing if I'm not dealing with my sin I cannot teach sinners the truth of the scripture while unconfessed sin remains in my heart and soul but once I confess it and repent of it and know the cleansing of the redeemer's blood then I'm ready I'm ready to teach I'm ready to proclaim the gospel I am equipped 
I'm in the place where God can use me. Having a heart restored and thus right with God, David was in a position to teach sinners God's ways. And sinners need to be taught. They need to be instructed in the paths of righteousness. They need to be shown the way so that they might be converted. David, restored to God and the joy of his salvation, was now confident that sinners would be converted, that his work for the Lord would be successful. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. And so there is the need for proclamation. Will you be engaged in it? Making sure you're right with the Lord. Making sure that your sin has been put away, confessed, forgiven. Your joy restored. Going out now to teach others the way of God's salvation. I trust that you will. And then in verse 14, there is the need for liberation. And he prays this, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thy God of my salvation. Now, the plea of David in relationship to his sin against Uriah is the context here. He was responsible for the death of this dear man, who, by the way, had been a loyal soldier to David. And David is confessing his sin and he's seeking deliverance from his sin. Not only the sin with Bathsheba, but what followed and his sin against Uriah and, and how that he was guilty of Uriah's death. He's asking the Lord for mercy here, I believe. But there's an application. I don't want you to miss it tonight. There's an application for you and me in gospel terms regarding our witness and our testimony to sinners or our lack of it. When we fail to tell others about Christ, when we fail to spread the gospel, then we are guilty of a terrible sin. And that sin is called blood guiltiness. What does that mean? I am guilty of the blood of that person. I am guilty, yes, even of the damnation of that person because I have not warned them, I have not told them, I have not taught them the ways of God. Now this is illustrated in the solemn responsibility given to the prophet Ezekiel when he was appointed a watchman. You want to read Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. The same kind of language is employed. But the thought there is illustrated from the watchman that is set in the tower. He is set there in the coasts of the land. In this case, Israel. He's watching for the enemy approaching and he's told, give warning. If the enemy approaches, give warning. And if you give warning, you have delivered yourself. You've been a faithful man. You've been a faithful watchman over the souls of these people. At least they can prepare for war. They can prepare for the enemy that's coming. They can seek to deliver themselves if that's possible. You have given the warning. You have discharged your responsibility. You are not guilty of the blood of these people. And of course, it's true also if you give the warning faithfully and they don't take heed to the warning, then their blood is upon themselves. They are guilty if they perish because they didn't listen. And then the application is, Ezekiel, I'm making you a watchman over the house of Israel. And I want you, as it were, 
to stand in the tower. And I want you to proclaim the words that I give to you. Proclaim my word. And I want you to tell the people. And if you do that, Ezekiel, you will have discharged your responsibility. You will have delivered your own soul. You will not be guilty of blood guiltiness. Ezekiel, if you fail to give warning, like a watchman that failed to give warning when the enemy is approaching, then you most certainly will be guilty of the blood of this people. So what do you want to be? A faithful watchman. You want to teach sinners. You want to be delivered from blood guiltiness. You want even at this time to pray at this mission time, Lord, deliver me from blood guiltiness. Don't let me remain silent. Don't let me fail in whatever I can do by giving an invitation out, by inviting sinners in, by spreading the gospel. Don't let me fail in my duty and responsibility. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Let that be our prayer. And let us be up doing what we can as a faithful watchman over the souls of men, over the souls of your family, over the souls of your friends, over the souls of your work companions, your schoolmates, whatever that might be, the community out there. God has made us watchmen. God wants us to teach transgressors the ways of God and thus discharge our responsibility and deliver our souls from blood guiltiness. May that be so for the Savior's sake. Amen. I trust that God has spoken, given us something to think about, uh, to pray over tonight as well. Is your life a channel of blessing? Tony, you can answer that. The question is thrown out here in the hymn. It's, it's given by the hymn writer to be thought-provoking, to be a, a challenge to you. Is your life a channel of blessing? Don't sing without thinking of the words. Because then you're just singing without meaning. Don't sing without trying to see that there's something here for me to, to think about, to be challenged about. Is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God flowing through you? Are you telling the lost of the Savior? Are you ready his service to do? Four questions, all dealing with the same kind of thing, serving the Lord. And if you're able uh, to, to feel the burden of this and to feel the challenge of this, then you can reply, make me a channel of blessing today. May the Lord speak to us now.
keep these names before you, that you might think upon them and uh, pray over them. They've all got their particular needs and they need the touch of the Lord. We remember also David and Rachel as they continue in these days to serve the Lord in Uganda. We mentioned earlier that we want to pray for the school. We mentioned Ivor's need and Freddie Laverty, of course, and the sorrow that has come to his home. We come to our Hebrew on time of prayer. If you're listening in on the internet, we've been glad to have you. May the Lord bless you now as we just say goodnight to you, leave you. So whatever you're going to do now, maybe you'll pray with us, spend a little bit of time at the throne of grace. We certainly welcome that. But we're going to pray together as a congregation just now and seek the Lord.